Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. We get ready to head into the big holiday weekend. Today, we're going to take a look at efforts to educate retailers about how to get the grants from the government to put in the infrastructure for higher ethanol blends at the pump. And as Americans, hopefully, we'll be able to hit the road this holiday weekend that they'll be looking for E15 and E85 at uh, those pumps and efforts underway to make it easier to find those higher blends. We'll talk about that with Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Still more reaction today to USDA's uh, acres numbers that caught a lot of people by surprise. We're going to talk with grain analyst for Robo AgriFinance, Steve Nicholson, on today's program and get his market outlook as well. And we're going to have Bryce Anderson in for a, an update headed into the holiday weekend. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson will talk about rainfall amounts. Some places in the last day or so, very heavy amounts of rain, eight, nine inches in places up in, for instance, in North Dakota. Other places still very dry. What are the prospects as we look ahead through the holiday weekend and into July? We'll talk about that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. But we'll start things off today with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to talk to you again. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Uh, Congress is leaving town, so I'm anticipating a, a holiday weekend. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll start the ball rolling on Monday uh, when the House Agricultural Appropriations Subcommittee is scheduled to mark up the fiscal year 20, 2021 bill. Uh, so we're we're going to be moving along here in July. Yeah, the July session will be very interesting, right? A lot of things that have been kind of put off to there. Uh, you mentioned one there. We'll also be finding out more about possibly another stimulus bill. So there'll be a lot to watch in the month of July when they get back from this holiday break. Uh, yes. Now, the the as I said, the House is going to begin to taking these bills up in committee on Monday, uh, and then the full House will come back on the 20th of, uh, of July, uh, and then they want to pass appropriations bills and also do the coronavirus aid package. The Senate is leaving today and won't be back until the 20th, and so they don't want to start negotiations on the coronavirus package until they, uh, until they get back, although there are discussions going on behind the scenes uh, Senator uh, Grassley from Iowa told the reporters last week. Yeah, already uh, some amounts being kind of tossed about. We know the the president has come out uh, in favor of a higher uh, amount of money going to uh, people across the country than uh, even the Democrats have, are calling for this time. Uh, yes, I think it's still very hard to tell what's uh, what's going to be in this. In terms of agriculture, Senator Grassley said his priorities are uh, aid for ethanol producers and also uh, for the livestock producers, particularly the hog farmers who have had to slaughter their animals because they couldn't find uh, uh, markets. Uh, there's also the question of increasing the food stamp benefits or uh, SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, uh, because there's still going to be a lot, even if even if things are a little better, there's still going to be a lot of unemployed people uh, who have limited incomes and need food. 
So we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, the Democrats have put together a a climate plan, which uh, calls for a lot of land conservation, but also allows for the role of biofuels as as looks looks like the way they're setting this up would be a transition to a time they they see electric or solar powered or whatever vehicles but uh biofuels uh, they've at least carved out a role for them in the meantime yes this was um a uh, very interesting uh development uh this panel was appointed by house speaker pelosi because the freshman progressive members of her party were insisting on doing this green new deal and so instead of allowing them to be in charge, she appointed someone to be in charge and put a range of people on the panel, and now they have issued this report. The um, uh, groups like the American Farmland Trust, the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, uh, have praised the document. Uh, the farm, ma- major farm groups have been basically quiet about it, uh, except that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association said they consider it a partisan document, which, of course, uh, of course it is. The importance of documents like this is that they collect ideas uh, that may at some point become part of legislation. Meanwhile, we continue to wait to see what EPA is going to do with these uh, some 52 small refinery exemption requests uh, for years past, so retroactively. EPA Administrator Wheeler saying there are a handful of unanswered questions in the effort by these refineries to get relief from uh, the RFS. So it remains to be seen what he's going to do. But in the meantime, they've also not issued the uh, RVOs, the renewable volume obligations for next year. Many had hoped we'd see something by the 1st of July. Yes, unfortunately, the situation with the RFS and EPA just goes on and on. I just keep writing about letters that are going to them, uh, you know, from the ag groups. But it really comes down to the fact that it's a political question for President Trump that it's very hard for him to deal with because he's torn between the oil industry and the farmers. And he cannot do uh, he can't do something on this that will please everyone. He's going to have to take a side, and we'll have to we'll just have to wait and I guess until they actually announce something. Yeah, they've been trying to please both sides for three or four years on this now, and it just hasn't worked. So we'll see what happens. It is a a, a very key political issue. And meanwhile, we have USMCA finally underway. Yes, um, I was uh, so interested in the re- reactions. I mean, a lot of people put out statements celebrating it. Uh, uh, but the dairy industry is, of course, very concerned about how Canada is proceeding on this. Uh, and uh, there are people complaining that Mexico is refusing to approve any new biotech traits. But, I, but most of all, I would say there's a huge sense of relief that the provisions in the North American Free Trade Agreement that caught, that raised U.S. exports to Mexico in particular were not gutted. Um, and uh, I think that we should have a smoother relationship with Mexico and Canada uh, in the future. Uh, uh, although there, you know, there will be, there will be conflicts uh, surrounding this agreement. Yep, there will be, and it's off to a bit of a bumpy start, but still it's uh, good news that it's in place and we go from there. 
All right, Jerry, thanks for being with us. Have a good holiday weekend, and we'll be in touch soon. Uh, Keep an eye on things when Congress gets back in session. Thank you very much. Yes, I'll be so interested in what we get out of of agriculture appropriations next week. Yep, we'll we'll talk with you about that next week. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. We'll get an update on efforts to get the infrastructure in place across the country so motorists can get higher ethanol blends. That's next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, this 4th of July weekend, uh, traditionally a time when many uh, folks are out on the roads. Maybe not as many this year, I guess, but as years past because of COVID-19. But hopefully more than uh, we thought maybe just a few weeks ago as the, the recovery and the rebound starts happening. And we hope that the motors will be able to find higher ethanol blends like E15 and E85. There are efforts to make that uh, easier to do, make those blends more available. And there's a grant program to help retailers uh, get that infrastructure in. We want to talk about that with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, thanks for joining us. First of all, let's let's start there. As far as demand, we're starting to see that rebound. Uh, we're starting to see more fuel demand, more uh, ethanol usage uh, still got a long ways to go to get back to where we were but at least we're seeing some signs of recovery there yeah i think people are driving around more than they look well, certainly a lot more than they were in you know uh, april and may but um it, the last time i looked at the stats we were in the 90s as far as percentage of volume restored from earlier um, i think it'll be interesting to see how many people drive places where they would have taken you know, some kind of public transportation, a bus or a plane or, or um, you know, I mean, even carpooling. You wonder how many people who are in a carpool drive their own uh, when they start going back to work that way. So I, I think the, the, the gas volume in general will probably restore faster than a lot of the other modes of transportation. Um, but um, it all remains to be seen. You know, you get the kind of get the, the false start now of uh, Florida and Texas. And so I think there's going to be a you know, people get back back up a little bit, and then we'll see. You know what it looks like in August and September. But it, it seems like it's, you know, that's one of the first things people start doing um, when they decide they're going to get back out into things as they start driving around. Now, as far as being able to find E15, E85, tell us about the uh, some of the work you're doing at Ace to help retailers go through the process of accessing this uh, grant money to help them put in uh, the infrastructure for higher blends? Right. Well, well, first of all, there's a lot of uh, probably the majority of retailers could put in E15 without doing much of anything to their stations. Um, But there's a program that USDA started in May that you got 90 days to register for it. It's a grant program. That'll pay up to 50% of the cost of infrastructure for uh, blends higher than 10%, basically. Um, so if you've got a station, you're going to put in, you know, you're going to dig a hole, put in a new tank, put in pumps, um, up to 50% of the stuff above ground and 25% of the tank can be paid for uh, by this grant uh, program. 
And, you know, we're, what we're trying to do with, with that program is just make sure that retailers are aware of it. Um, you might remember the, the BIP program a few years back where they had to get the money out quickly. And as a result, some of, you know, most of the money went to only larger retail chains. Well, this one's designed, um, so that individual retailers can get a hold of the money and they even have some preferences built into it. And uh, we're just trying to make sure, number one, that people are aware of it. And then number two, um, we're trying to break it down so that they don't get scared off by the grant process because it, it looks pretty daunting when you first log onto that page and realize what you've got to do to apply for this grant. Yeah, it can be a little daunting, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> is there a lot of interest out there by retailers to put in the pumps for higher blends? Well, there is there is some interest. I guess i i would I would love to see more, um, and that's part part of what we're doing um, with you know in bumping up advertising in um, industry publications and online advertising for people who own and operate stations, trying to target them. Um, there's there's uh, there's more interest, I think, than there was last time around because of the way. You know some of the things that were put into the program. For example, it's a it's a total of 100 million dollars, but 40 percent of it is is uh, targeted towards uh, people who own 10 stations or companies that own 10 stations or less, uh, including single store owners. There's some preferences for stations west of the Mississippi and the six New England states, and there's preferences for stations along the interstate or ones that don't have any competitors within a mile of them. So there's there's ways that they, that this would slant towards individual marketers, uh, but again, one of the concerns we had is that I think when people go to that that USDA website and look at it, it just looks like a ton of work, and it it is a lot of work. But um, we've um, put together a film series or you know short films to try to you know break the elephant elephant into small bites so you can eat the thing. <laughs> Yeah. We're talking with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, how do you uh how do you judge where we're at as far as uh E fifteen in the marketplace? Uh here we are in the summer of twenty twenty, dealing with a pandemic, obviously, as we just talked about, reduced uh driving and uh, even with the uh bit of a bounce back is still down from where it would have been without the pandemic. Uh where are we with E fifteen sales in your opinion? Well, we're not we're not anywhere near where we should be. Um, you know, the, the there've been a lot of uh, it seems like uh, a lot of roadblocks put in our way since this thing was approved uh, only ten years ago, almost um, I guess nine. Um, and last year when we had that last one removed, which was that summer um, that summer ozone season stupidity that they that took away that um, that took away one of the last roadblocks that. Um, existed where you had marketers who didn't want to have to be relabeling pumps every summer. So now if they sell E15, they can sell it the same way all year. So that, that helps. Um, but there's still this, this, um, I don't know, mythology out there that it costs a lot to sell E15. And it actually, I mean, they're the people who've been most successful with it have taken out a product like mid grade that nobody buys, put E15 in. And in most cases they sell 15 to 20% of their volume in that new product almost immediately. And it's not just people converting over from 10% ethanol. It's, you know, they get new customers because they're posting a price on the sign that's usually around a nickel less than any other E10 out there and probably 20 to 30 cents less than E0. So the people that have it 
love it and are doing well, and that's one of the things, you know, this flexfuelforward.com website that we have shares those stories of people who put it in and have done better because, you know, that the the gasoline and convenience store industry is like a lot of industries. Everybody wants to be first to be second. And so once somebody does it successfully and others see it and realize they can do it, they'll jump on. So, I mean, I would hope that something like this gives it a boost. Um, but, um, you know, we've got some work to do to talk about compatibility with people that we're going to be working on after this bit program, age bit program is over. And just to make sure that, Station owners know that it's not the expense that they think it is and that people do want it and do buy it, and it's done well in places where they sell it. Yeah, there's so many benefits to going with the higher blends, but, of course, one of them, one of the main ones to most motors would be the, the lower price at the pump. And here's been another roadblock. All of a sudden, we had uh, gas prices just drop, which, you know, motorists didn't mind, but that kind of took away a lot of that price advantage uh, to the higher ethanol blends uh, that would have got them to perhaps uh, to, to buy them. Right. From a sales standpoint, if you're, you know, like what I do is go out and talk to marketers about putting E15 in, it was a lot easier to do when ethanol was a buck cheaper than gas. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's still one of those things. Now one of the things that we talk to people about is uh, their customers being more concerned about things like health and, and uh, you know, cleanliness and making the connection between ethanol as a hand sanitizer is the same ethanol you put in your car. So it's a clean fuel. And it seems like people are more interested in that right now. Um, but I, you know, you're right. It's still the same thing that drives most gas purchases is, is price. And I don't know that that'll ever change, but if there are other factors and we have an opportunity for the next, you know, for the next several months and maybe years to, really drive home that message that this is a good clean fuel that uh that's you know made by your neighbors and and it's uh something that you ought to be putting in your engine well as people head out this holiday weekend we hope they uh, drive safely and when they pull in for fuel that they'll be able to find and then and choose those higher ethanol blends amen <laughs> all right let's and let's see the see the rebound continue as folks get back out on the road. Ron, always good to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Take care. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, still some buzz around uh, USDA's uh, crop report numbers, especially the acres numbers, a big reduction in acres. It caught a lot of analysts, a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the experts on this by surprise where did those uh, acres go and why was there such a drop we'll talk about that next with steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for robo agrifinance and we'll get his market outlook as we head through this month of july stay with us you're listening to aoa Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We welcome back Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrifinance, who's made his way from St. Louis, I believe, to Des Moines. Steve, how how did crops look on your trip? <laughs> Good morning, Mike. Yes, we made our trip from St. Louis to Des Moines last night. Uh, 
um, you know, actually pretty pretty doggone good. Um, and he's, I mean, there's some areas up in northeast Missouri which got some flood water. We've had a lot of rain in northeast Missouri the last several days, and you probably have had some of that in Jacksonville as well. Um, but the crops there look good. As you come into Iowa, they look even better. Um, and then it got dark, so I'll see the rest of it on the way home. But, you know, that southeast Iowa park that we saw during the light was looked really good. Uh, beans looked good as well. And I, I think that's the... I think that's one of the stories we have to think about is how good this crop, you know, got a start. And I think that's really important to a crop and, and it got a good start. There's lots of soil moisture going into July here. And so it's just, you know, a good overall picture when you look from a production standpoint, for sure. Yeah. Some places too much, uh, up in North Dakota, eight and nine inches in places. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's like North Dakota cannot get out from underneath that rain cloud. Um, and, and that's the thing, you know, even in northeast Missouri, uh, up along the river, you know, they had five and six inches of rain the last three days, just way too much rain. Uh, surprisingly, it didn't look as I was waiting to see a lot more fields underwater. Uh, didn't see that, but I'm sure there are those that that's the case. You know, North Dakota, that upper that upper Midwest or the upper, you know, upper plains have just been extremely wet um, going through. And, you know, the worry there, you worry now about, you know, disease. Uh, when you think about the wheat crop there, you think also about the, the sugar beet crop and, and just all that moisture and that, and then you get the heat on top of it, just you know breeds breeds disease that the crops just don't need. So I, that's something to watch in an area um, that is really you know has become a much more important uh, pro, uh, producer in the last several years. I'm talking with Steve Nicholson, analyst with Robo Agrofinance. And I'm sure, Steve, you were one of the few that uh, predicted ahead of time that the USDA would come in with a uh, corn acres number 5 million lower. I mean, uh, yeah. where did that come from? Yeah. Did that catch you by surprise? Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to tell you what my first reaction is was a wow. And then I looked at the bean number and I, hit an, and I said another wow. Yeah. And then looked at that principal crop number and go, wow. Um, so, yeah, I... I wasn't expecting that particularly, you know, we were all set up in March looking, you know, 97 million acres of corn and 84 million acres of beans and thinking, okay, and you got through the, you know, planting season in good shape, no major hiccups, and I'll just say that, you know, broadly not realizing there are people who could have issues, uh, could have had issues this spring, and so you weren't really ready for that corn number, um, and that was a that was a big surprise, uh, but I will say one thing, I mean, we... We do have a North American baseline uh, model we have. It's a, a partial equilibrium model just for the economists in the audience. Um, and when we looked at this originally, when we started looking at this last winter and, you know, running our model, you know, the model was spitting out about 90 million acres. And so we were, you know, we were on the low side and, and we, you know, we had a lot of spirited debate internally about that. Um, and so, I wasn't expecting that, but I should have listened to the model and said, well, then that's where, and, and the model has told us all along that we don't need the acres, and that's exactly right. We don't need these acres. So in some ways, this 92 million acres of corn is actually not a bad thing. Um, it, it the, probably the, you know, the good thing about this base, you know, 92 million acres of corn is it, is it is more than likely put a bottom in the corn market doesn't mean we won't go back and revisit the lows on the board but the fact is we probably don't aren't we are not going to see new lows in the corn market you know at least for this you know for this growing season um into into next year so um that's the good news out of the report 
the other side of that case is, and you know, you start looking at the kind of doing the math and thinking, okay, let's see what this means. The other side of that is that even though we lost upwards of probably 800 to a billion bushels of production, and I mean lost in, in quotes, um, we still are going to carry over over 2 billion bushels into 20, you know, in 2021 at the end of the year. And, and actually it's actually increased over this year's in stock. So that's, a, that's what we have to realize is that in the markets looking at this now, and you know, the market is so surprised and, and your question is absolutely right. The market surprised and reacted accordingly and it did the right thing. But now the market's going to have to sit down to kind of take stock and think about where are we and what do we have, you know, how big is, how big is the crop? What is the carryover and what does that really mean when it's all said and done? What was the and, bigger surprise to you, uh, that they lowered Corn Acres 5 million or yeah. that, that they didn't just, that just didn't automatically mean there were more bean acres? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's where you thought that yeah. would have shifted to, but that wasn't the case either. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that was also, as I said, that was a wild moment too, because I, then you flip the next page, look at soybeans and you're going 315,000 acres and you're going, kind of a head scratcher that was just as big a surprise as the corn number you know where you know the question now becomes where do those acres all go um and and so you have in my head i just have all sorts of questions did farmers you know get to the end of march um or beginning of planning and go no i'm not going to plan all this because it just doesn't make economic sense and that's that's a very rational decision on their part or, you know, and, and you know this across the Corn Belt, there, you know, you see those five, 10 acre creek bottoms that get planted and, you know, the ditches that get planted or, oh, we plant that 10 acre plot up by the house or whatever the case might be. And so you probably didn't get those planted this year or those didn't get planted because it just didn't make sense. Um, you know, I do think that some, some folks did pull back acres and say, you know what, I'm not going to plant those acres because it doesn't make economic sense. I don't know that there was a lot of acres that didn't get planted because of financing. I think there was, you know, plenty of carryover um, from last year in the MFP that helped put balance sheets back to kind of back in a good spot so farmers could get financing. So I don't know that that was a big deal. But I also wonder, I'm not being critical of USDA, and and it's also a game of expectations. You know, was the number in March accurate enough? And it may not have been because of all the, think you know we talked about the northern plains of how wet it was so how much you know there was a lot of acres up there that hadn't been harvested and maybe you know it's easy i mean i think getting the acreage number in march and figuring out what that number is probably one of the harder jobs out there so i think there's a combination of things that have kind of conspired against us if you have in trying to figure out what that acreage number is and, and so it's, now it's, not it, one's fault. it's just the reality is yeah. yeah if we could get a perfect storm here where Okay, we have fewer <laughs> acres. Uh, we yep. have fewer acres. We know uh, ethanol demand starts coming back, so we start, uh, mm-hmm. you know, using more corn there. If China keeps buying, if all that starts happening, does that mean a big rally coming? Well, I think it is probably, yeah, you're going to see a little bit more upside in corn if we can get, you know, ethanol certainly is coming back. <clears throat> I mean, it has been eight consecutive weeks from the bottom, and we've, we've put in higher numbers every week. So that's the good news. And we're up around 90 million bushels grind right now, which is about 10 million bushels off the average before COVID hit. So ethanol is coming back. Um, and I think that's, that's a good thing. You know, I am a little concerned about, you know, with the COVID starting to rear its ugly head again, 
do people start to, you know, stay at home a little bit more and there's a little less driving. So I think that's a concern up front. Um, you are going to get, you know, it's July. It's going to, it's hot. It's humid. Um, people are at the market's going to look at that and go, Ooh, I'm a little concerned about that, but keep in mind we have two billion bushel carryover. So you've got to temper that as well. Um, you know, China continues to buy soybeans and pork, um, and that will be good for both of us. And so I think, there is, you know, there's a little upside. I think the big, you know, my other concern at this point is that, you know, you the market is given an opportunity here. You know, we've had, well, not today, but we've had two consecutive days of, of huge upticks in the market, and I think that's a that's an opportunity for for producers to get out there and get some get some marketing done. I think this is a gift you need to you need to really pay attention to. Uh, my concern, though, is we get to the fall and we look at a crop that looks as good as it does now, and let's assume it stays that way or we have normal weather, basis will get pretty sloppy. And so right now, basis is not sloppy because ethanol is coming back, and here's another opportunity for producers to lock in those basis numbers, which look pretty good now, but if we get a good crop this fall, and I'm going to make that assumption right now, that that basis is probably going to do more of the work than the futures will do mm-hmm. And going forward. We've just got to got to cut into those stocks, don't we? That's right. We need to we need to figure a place to put those stocks, and and, and it's a double edged sword. Is we not we need to cut into stocks, but we also need to find you know we need to find a new demander. And you know my other the other thing we have to you know our livestock customers or our livestock brethren are our our best you know our best consumers when we look at both soybean meal. And we look at and corn, and, and we need to have them healthy. We need the economy healthy, so people are, you know, taking lots of meat, uh, or you know, demand for meat is good, um, and so that they keep taking it, that will help our demand as well. So we can't not we cannot forget our our livestock brethren uh, because they're our best customer. So keep eating those hamburgers and hot dogs and steaks and and pork chops this Fourth of July because that'll help that'll help us all when it's all said and done. I'm doing my part. Um... So it's the age-old problem as, as we wrap it up here. I mean, low prices, yeah. so you, you you hope for higher yields, more volume to kind of offset that, but then yeah. that, that leads to lower prices because you have the stocks again. That's right. And and this is, you know, and, and there's a part of me when I look at that 92 million acres that maybe we're, we are starting to see that rationalization that we've needed to have for several years to rationalize the acres to a point where the, we're getting that balance sheet you know, getting the imbalance out of the supply and demand table and looking at a balance sheet that goes forward to keep keeps prices better for all. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Be safe. Bye-bye. Take care. Steve Nicholson, grain analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Up next, we're going to talk about rainfall and weather in the month of July. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we start each week with a look at the weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. But uh, on occasion, as conditions warrant, we ask him to come back for kind of a special update during the week. And wanted to do that today because of the the rainfall situation. Bryce, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're really in a, a pattern now of haves and have-nots. 
Uh, some areas still very dry, but other areas have, have received some very beneficial rains, like where I'm at in west central Illinois. But yet I see the pictures out of uh, states like North Dakota that eight, nine inches of rain and fields is standing in water. So we have had uh, quite a variety of uh, rainfall events just in the last couple of days. Well, yeah, there have been some uh, real heavy downpours, Mike, in uh, some parts of the uh, far northern plains and then kind of in a, a corridor of the Midwest from uh, central Minnesota southeast uh, toward the lower Ohio Valley and uh, including uh, west central Illinois, definitely. Uh, the, the rainfall in the far northern plains uh, has amounted to that uh, two to five plus generally with those local amounts of uh, eight inches possibly. Uh, South central Minnesota and uh, part of western Wisconsin got that same type of rain. And then in that northeast Missouri to uh, southern Illinois uh, angle, uh, northwest uh, to southeast, and then into western Kentucky, two to five inch plus rains as well. And uh, outside of that, um, uh, outside of those locations, you know, kind of going from Montana east uh, to northwestern Minnesota and then angling southeast, outside of that arc, uh, it has been quite a bit drier. There was just a, a portion of southeast Nebraska, northeastern Kansas, northwestern Missouri that got some of that rain, but uh, you're looking at a lot of the uh, area from uh, around Bloomington, Illinois, eastward toward all the way to the Ohio-Pennsylvania line, that had uh, less than a half an inch of rain. And then from about uh, Salina, Kansas, southwest to the Texas Panhandle, almost nothing. So it really has been a, a wide range, uh, a wide disparity in precipitation over the last week. And it sounds like some very hot weather may be coming. Well, there is going to be uh, definitely that. Uh, the upper air pattern over the next week is uh, pretty well in line with the idea of taking a real hot bubble of air that is uh, keeping the southern plains very hot and then uh, merging that with a dry high out of uh, eastern Canada that is uh, extended southwest into the uh, Ohio Valley that um, all of that is uh, just kind of going to uh, come together during the next week to 10 days to spread well above normal temperatures throughout uh, the major crop areas, and uh, keep a pretty dry pattern in place here through the 4th of July weekend, and then on through most of this uh, first full week of July during next week, all the way into the uh, July 11th and 12th weekend. And so uh, that's a, a real critical time, and uh, after that, uh, some uh, weakness or uh, relaxing of that ridge is certainly going to be needed in order to bring some new rain chances into the picture. I was going to say, what what are we looking at for rain here the early part of July? It's going to be pretty much uh, below normal over a big swath of uh, the Midwest, uh, looking at uh, the uh, Interstate 70 corridor and uh, taking that from uh, about uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, west all the way to Des Moines and even here into the Omaha area. So uh, that's uh, the I-70, I-80 corridor, in fact, quite a bit of the Corn Belt. There's uh, plenty of uh, subsoil moisture in most areas for crops to get by, but uh, what happens after that is going to be a real key feature, and I don't think the Southern Plains are going to get hardly anything 
Again, the uh, far northern plains spring wheat areas have been pretty much in the uh, favored uh, rain swath, and it looks like they're going to continue in that uh, particular trend. So you think that that area will stay wet then? Yeah, I think the far northern plains uh, are certainly going to be in line for continued activity. I mean, uh, this is where the um, the real boundary has uh, wanted to set up. Uh, there's uh, been some more energy cross into that uh, part of North America out of the Pacific Northwest. And so we've seen the, uh, you know, the, uh, the fairly dependability factor uh, on rainfall be pretty high in North Dakota, Montana, into the Canadian prairies. And that's likely to continue at least uh, for a few more days. And so the uh, soil moisture situation has been um, showing some improvement. And I think we're going to continue with that. Well, as always, we here we are now in this critical month of July, the big crop test when it comes to weather conditions. Well, it is, and uh, particularly now in corn with uh, pollination uh, getting set. Uh, you know, a lot of corn plants are just on the edge of, uh, of sprouting the tassel uh, to begin the pollination phase. And so the next uh, two weeks are going to be very important. And the uh, forecast models are in a little bit of disagreement regarding what happens in the July 12 to 20 time frame. Uh, the European model wants to relax this ridge and, you know, kind of shove it down into Arizona. The U.S. model is, uh, is keeping more of this uh, heat uh, in terms of uh, the upper air over central Kansas into central Missouri. And if that happens, that spreads more heat into the Midwest. So the, uh, the resolution of that pattern uh, depiction on Sunday night when the trade gets back into action is uh, going to be a, a real key detail for just about the entire trade, again, looking especially at corn pollination. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens over this uh, holiday weekend, and we'll talk with you on Monday and kind of reset things and see where we go from here. Thanks, Bryce. Have a good holiday. Thank you. You too, Mike. All right, that's DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Wanted to bring him in for just kind of an update as we head into this weekend. Critical time uh, for crops, and uh, uh, we've had this very wide differences in in rainfall amounts just the last few days across the country. All right, have a great uh, day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll tune in again tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for being with us here on AOA. AOA.